Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Combat Veteran Breakdown. I'm your host, Paul, Combat Veteran, MMA fighter, and YouTuber. Today, I wanted to, uh, I don't know, go on a rant, right? Tell, tell a story, go on a rant, you know, the usual format. Um, and this is actually one of those, uh, well, in the military, let's talk. In the military, there's this, it's like a lot of jobs. And there's a hierarchy. If you, I mean, there's obviously a hierarchy, right? Rank. Um, but there's also this, like, there's constant sort of vibe checking. And there's another uh, less appropriate word that'll get me demonetized uh, that you measure, right? Part of the anatomy. But you know what I'm talking about. And this is this idea that, that there's always someone who's a bigger badass than you. And this goes all the way to the top. Everyone is always trying to sort of out-badass each other. And it's pretty easy to do because, especially in the military of today, well, I don't know about the military of today, the military I was in, uh, though I left active duty in 2013, um, you know, there was a lot of people who had done some badass things. And so it's important to understand that, you know, it's like whatever you do, there's always someone who's had it worse. And in the military, right, it generally sort of works like this. At the bottom, right, you have people who have, who have signed up and served. They spent their time in garrison. They had a sort of support-based job, uh, fixing trucks or uh, moving fuel or whatever, right? Then, and those people are envious of the ones who have deployed. So the fuel hauler, the truck mechanics who's gone overseas and deployed. Right to, the, to Iraq and Afghanistan, but among those fuel hauler types, right, they are usually envious of the people who have actually left the wire. Those are people who have left their fob to do some sort of outside the wire type missions. <laughs> right, if you're a mechanic, this would be uh, what we would usually use ours for was like vehicle recovery. Sometimes we would literally just want a mechanic in the patrol uh, since our mechanics were trained up to you know they, they were also riflemen they knew how to patrol they knew how to engage targets and they they knew how to follow instructions right which is which is which are the core skills you need to be a uh, rifleman okay so we would say hey we want a mechanic especially if we kind of liked them and we knew that their their vibe was good uh with the rest of the platoon we'd say yeah we want to bring x we want to bring you know, Sergeant X or Corporal Y or Specialist Z on this patrol, we want to have a mechanic on hand to fix vehicles in the field. So that would be, you know, among mechanics that deployed or fuel haulers or whatever, that's the next step up is to say, oh, you went on mission. You left the wire. You went on mission. Well, among those that go on mission, right, obviously there's a huge step, which is to be in contact with the enemy, right? That is to earn your combat action badge. And now this is where things start to get a little weird because what do you do if you're an infantryman who never leaves, never deploys, right? So you're like a combat infantryman who d d hasn't gone to combat. Okay, well, what about if you're a combat infantryman, but all you did was sit on the base and check IDs and you never went on mission, you never left the wire? It sounds crazy. I've seen plenty of soldiers like that. There were some that... Uh, literally, they were an infantry company. They were assigned to supervise a major gate, the Torquem Gate, um, 
a very important trade thoroughfare to be sure but not a site with any action and there wasn't really any patrolling to be done it was just them supervising the afghan customs people and so again where did they they would have killed to go on mission in fact i know for a fact they did because at one point i went on a mission and i was like man we were like way in the border near pakistan and i was like man i could really use a mortar team like if i could get mortars get my own indirect fire coming with me i would be like so happy and so i reached out to one of the this this unit actually that was stuck at torkham gate and i was like hey guys can i get a mortar team right my mission my ao I, I, you know but if i can get two vehicles and a mortar like we'll feed them we'll make sure we fix your vehicles up we'll you know usually there's some sort of like trade trade exchange going on um but we were lucky we had worked with them before and we had kind of done them a solid in terms of like providing some like additional base security and so they were like not only were they like yes our mortar teams are eager to go out are so eager uh but not only that but they were like would you like a sniper team and i was like i would love a sniper team under my command and then their commander was like listen their commander was a captain so he outranked me at the time their commander was like listen lt we don't get to do this much and he's like i would really like to be out there with my guys and he's like i understand that this is your mission you are the mission commander and i will respect that despite the fact that obviously i'm a captain he's just like i just i just want to be there like with my guys and i was like i get it like you know me you know i'm we've been cool but like being cool with somebody isn't the same thing as i trust you with my men right and the fact that he knew the fact that he had the poise to be like i understand that this looks like a concern like a concern you'll have and I'm going to head it off. I'm going to head off your number one concern about having me on mission. And so I was like, great. Um, I was like, yes. So suddenly I had a, you know, a, a platoon operation, right? Two maneuver elements uh, suddenly expand by almost 50% with all these enablers. Um, the sniper team also had been like a, a, like a JTAC or something in the Air Force. Like he was like, oh yeah, I'm also certified to call an ordinance through any fixed wing aircraft in the Air Force's arsenal. And I'm like, where did they find you, man? Um, but, you know, I was thrilled to have every one of them, right? I think we also, that mission had dedicated Air Force JTACs attached, which I... This is a testament to my XO. I, he was like, what do you need for this mission? And I gave him like the wish list. I was like, I want, I want a, I want ISR assets. I want a, a, a JTAC. I want a fixed wing assets on station. I want a Kiowa. And he was like, I'll see what I can do. And this dude got it all. I mean, it was like a two day long mission, but I, I had like 45 minutes where a Kiowa was on station. Dude, it was so cool. <laughs> and I, you know, we had fixed wing aircraft come on station and we're like, hey, we're just here to support your mission. And I'm like, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, that was pretty cool. And that was a testament to him. The point of all this, point of all this is to say that, yeah, you can be in the infantry and you can like do less, l less like stuff than a uh you know than a mechanic right i could tell you like i said our mechanics probably ran more missions more patrols 
than the average rifleman in that infantry company, despite the fact that we were both deployed at the exact same time. And this is sort of just how militaries operate, right? The Torquem Gate mission was so important, even though it was low risk, um, the price of failure would be so huge that the commanders at B were like, we're going to assign an entire infantry company to this mission. So anyway, you see the hierarchy gets a little weird, but whether or not you've seen direct combat action is, is a huge, huge uh, distinguisher, we'll say. And there's all these kind of weird things like, you know, how'd you get your, your, your combat action badge? Or the infantry version is the combat infantryman's badge. And there's some people that earned it in ways that you're like, you know, it's like I was in a patrol that got hit with an IED. We're like, ah, did you get hit with an IED? Well, no, it was vehicle four and I was in vehicle one. And you're like, hmm, I don't know. I don't think that counts as action. Um, or they're like, oh, well, I was like really close to a mortar. It's like, I don't know, man. You know, but here's the thing. Every, every command has their own policy. Ours was relatively strict. Like if your vehicle, vehicle gets hit with an IED, you were in direct combat. Um, if your patrol collectively gets like shot at, as long as it's not like a two mile long convoy or something like, you know, and you shoot back it, that's, that pretty much does it. Um, I think they actually institute a policy where, like you have to be within like a hundred meters of a mortar strike and you have to have like two witnesses. Like it's really, it's really bizarre, but it's because the reason there has to be so many regulations about this sort of thing is because that that jump, that boundary between having seen combat and having just been deployed is massive, massive, right? It's it's one of the reasons, right? I'm not, I don't go army vet reacts, right? But that, that, that's that's not the most unique part right the the highest prestige thing is that like yeah i was deployed i have been in combat engagements and have a combat action badge i haven't hung it up yet but it's it's there in a shadow box and like you know i've been on you know 200 plus patrols outside the wire and that's a rarity even in the military but here's the thing to me there are infantry units, right? That I was also that I was deployed with, like you know some of the first brigade, hundred and first guys. Um, those dudes did work, right? And they were like in really kinetic areas, getting pounded daily, um, getting ambushed on you know every third patrol, um, just wild stuff. They would do these air assault missions into the Kunar Valley. I mean, just wild stuff. It's stuff more akin to, like, Restrepo, right? And so, like, to me, sometimes I'm like, damn, I feel like a, like a, like a pretender compared to those guys. Because, again, you, if you've seen, like, Restrepo, you know that there's people who just get after it. But here's the crazy thing. You talk to those guys, and they will tell you. They're like... You know, the real bad dudes, like, they're like, we just kind of reacted when people shot at us. They're like, the real bad dudes are like the special forces guys because they go after the enemy. They take the fight to them, right? Their missions are always kinetic. They're always ready for, they're always in a gunfight. 
And you're kind of like, uh, first off, that's not universally true. A lot of special forces operators, their teams are assigned to, to you know, build relationships, help smooth out like tribal politics. They're just, some of them are just really good diplomats in really dangerous areas. So they may not always be like hitting high value, you know, Taliban targets. But the level of prestige that, again, 